and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob. And we are coming to you from the Ain't It Just the Most Winchester building in the downtown metropolis area. Today on our show, Rob, we start a very special, uh, special, <laughs> a very special special on the Beatles. It's more special than the other specials, isn't it? The special, this is a special special. The other it's ones were just specials. Specialer. Now, last year, which nobody will remember, we did a four-episode series on what was considered by fans and critics as the greatest solo Beatle album by each member of the 1970s. I, you know, the reason <laughs> I I loved that, that was actually the beginning of our current incarnation of the show we really hit our stride when we did those Beatles shows yeah it's kind yeah. of that's when we said by golly we're show guys now by golly we're good at this now it really was yeah but i kind of screw you competitors i hated describing the ep- these episodes that we did last year for four weeks because it's such a hard thing to describe and i have to do the same thing for another four weeks so it can be done and we had we did have a lot of fun doing it it was a lot of fun and we really found our stride and uh Got a lot of great response from our listeners. I got to hear some uh, albums I'd never heard before, but always wanted. Yeah, to. and these people you'd never heard of, like, who is this Ringo Starr? Ringo Starr, yeah. <laughs> I knew him when he was uh, Richard Starkley, but not... Yeah, Starkley, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and John O'Lennon. Um, O'Leninovich. <laughs> and I said last year when we were done that I actually said on the air, not just after the show, I said to Rob, I said, we should do a year from now the worst Beatles solo <laughs> albums by each member in the 1970s. And lo and behold, this is next it. year. <laughs> and that is what we are doing. And we are starting off the, the four. It's actually a five-part series because you'll find out later what the fifth album is. But uh, I've never known a prophecy to come true. We are starting the series off with John Lennon and Yoko Ono's 1972 double album. Yes, double album. Double album. Yeah, it caught me off guard. Oh, sorry. Uh, sometime in New York City. <laughs> and that will be coming a little later. But first, actually, I got something even before, but first, but zero. I, <laughs> I'm okay. kidding. We'll do subject this number is zero off, right now. This, yeah, because this, this, is, this is before first. If you zero. go forwards in time and then travel backwards in time, <laughs> you'll be here. This is off <laughs> script. Okay, so it's zero. But... As I was driving here to the Winchester, I'm getting real tired. Oh, radio. Of the radio. Oh, you got to get that thing it's fixed. It's no specific song, but I got to get that speaker fixed because I got to <laughs> hear my own music, man. I just do, man. I tell you. It sucks the life out of you. And then you get here to the Winchester building. And uh... and it's a great time of year because it's like summertime and it's a great time to play like like I usually play the Beach Boys, and this is the best time to play the Beach Boys on my way to the show. I usually play Harry Nielsen, as I've told on the show before. When I come, I can't do that. Harry Nielsen sounds great in the summertime. Oh, got to get that fixed. Anyways. <laughs> you just wait till winter. But first, <laughs> after zero comes one. But first, I want to talk again about the fact that we get hostile, or what I call uncomplimentary letters about rock <laughs> no oh all the time i don't believe it on a on a uh 
sickening basis. I have <laughs> charm. I have uh, wit and wisdom fair. I, so uh, you think. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, Bertie. <laughs> All of those. So you think. So some of the letters, I'm going to tell you what some of the letters say. Some of the letters, I'm not going to say who said it, because that would be rude. Even though what they say is rude, I'm not going to play the same game and be rude back to them. It can't be anyone I know, because uh, nobody I know uh, knows I do this show. Is voodoo I do so well. So some of the, yeah, I was, I was going to comment on it, but then I was just thinking that's such a waste of, of air. So, <laughs> like popping a balloon. <laughs> some of the letters call Rob a boob and not a small titty. But a big boob. I haven't heard someone called a boob yeah, in years. Like, like a Dolly Parton sized boob is what you want. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. That's like something you could make jokes about. On <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Carson. Yeah. Um, one person emailed in and said that Rob is like a pimple on your face and you think you're going to get used to it being there and then you just want to pop it and get rid of the whole damn thing forever. It'll hurt a bit, but then it's gone. I thought that that was. Beautiful, very poetic and existential at the same time. Well, some people they just have a way of speaking. I mean, some of these people may be poets, poets through their hatred. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one other person emailed and said he would like to listen to the show every week, but listening to Rob every week makes that impossible to do. I can be a bit grating at times, I'll admit that. So, so he has to pick and choose when to listen to an episode, and uh. <laughs> It's kind of like cutting out the commercials. It's like he has to mentally be has to mentally be there to actually listen to the show to to stand what you're saying, you know, to like, oh, I I made it through today, but I can't listen next week. <laughs> that means too much. And one more letter that I'm going to comment on was some gentleman who said who said <laughs> sorry. That's what he actually said. He said, the gay dude really pisses him off. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Rob's not gay, but I understand that listening to him can make you think that very much so. Perhaps I give off a gay vibe. You do. It's like your sisters get off a, a lesbian vibe, but they're not lesbians. Yeah. You give off. <laughs> they do. Everything you, <laughs> they really do. But Rob, it must be something in the family. Blood or something, but you give off this gay vibe. It's I, a I gay. refusal to conform to whatever it is people conform to. Sure. <laughs> or you could just give off a gay vibe. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe the gay vibe exists. Now I, I I need a moment here because I need to comment on these these letters. We get them about every three months and they pile up, and then I have to talk about them every uh, every three months. Well, as appalling and distasteful that these letters are you know we know, i do we'll agree. Not deny, deny I, yeah i do agree <laughs> with with almost everything that was said and the you know i don't feel that these points have to be brought up time and time again that's what i'm saying because i'm the one that has to read them and then and then i re, you know and realize that they're there and then have to read another one so even though i feel your pain because I do, I have to work with the fuck. I mean, the guy. 
I, I thought it was my pain you were feeling. <laughs> no, I don't know. They're right. <laughs> I, I have total sympathy with these people, but there's no reason to keep on writing in when I've already commented on this like, like two or three shows before. I always expected I would have my share of detractors. but uh, Oh, you, you do have that in yeah. spades. Am I hogging them all? Yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't mind a few coarse letters. But you just get complimentary letters. I do. I do. They think I'm sexy. Well, <laughs> Even the men. I, uh, so... <laughs> I thought they'd be talking about your brain. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it's just, you know, no more letters. I, I, I get We it. get the point. We get the point. I'm tired of reading these letters over and over again, saying the same things over and over again. Oh, you're I telling us something already, we don't already know. already agree with. Please, people, think about me. Before you send these letters. Anything else you want to add about that, Rob? I uh, just, uh, if anything happens to me, uh, you get the monkey. Mm-hmm. You don't want the monkey. I do. <laughs> oh, God, I wish that monkey would arrive. It's been that two mon- years since I ordered that monkey. The monkey chews on the cords. Well, you chew on your cords sometimes, too, <laughs> Rob. <laughs> well, there's a lot in the show. Here's the words, bend that way. <laughs> oh, my God. Odds and ends. Papa, don't take no. Oh, sorry. Lost, Lost time, time is, is not, not found, found again. again. <laughs> that, was, that was the most apathetic one we've done yet. Awesome. Not wow. found again. Okay. Two items today on odds and ends. And one concerns Rob. One is odd. The <laughs> other is the end. Rob. <laughs> again, seems like the whole show today is about Rob. Groovy. But I, I have to come up. With, oh, I, I did. I actually have come up with a segment that will showcase Rob. I did, Rob. I haven't told you oh. this. But I have come up with a segment. And we've tried. We have yes, tried. People. To repeat the same experiment, expecting different <laughs> results. And that will premiere next week. And oh. hopefully next week will not be the only time we do the segment like all the other times. I expect it will. <laughs> I would love to make this a semi-regular thing on our show, but given our track record with segments featuring Rob in any sort of way, I doubt it. I'm going to work my hardest to make it the best thing that you envision. You're not doing anything. i gotta, I got to write the whole segment, and all you got to do is kind of like... Talk? Yeah. I got to read things that you're writing? No, you don't have to read things. You'll see next week. Oh, I did think of something. It took me about a year, but I thought of something. In another year, you'll think of something else after you've forgotten this fiasco. <laughs> <laughs> we've already we've already just announced it, and we've written it off already. Um, secondly, on odds and ends today, kind of, kind of going fast today. I like this. Well, we got a lot to talk about with the album. Oh, I know. <laughs> i know i got i got a segment today which is going to take a while so we could i maybe we're going through this fast because over the past five six shows i got a half a page of notes here we got a full page oh good secondly on odds and ends today i just wanted to give a, a quick update from last episode where we did the statistics remember that rob mm-hmm. we did the statistics segment and i just want to say that uh i'm not going to get in all i was gonna i was gonna name all the countries that 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 listen to us but i thought that's really egotistic so i scrapped can you give me a, that can you give me a number lots okay uh to be honest with you lots but that doesn't mean like 
a million people every country. Just the whole one or two bloody people. United Nations. So uh, I wasn't going to do that, even though it is quite impressive. <laughs> I see. I, I'm just saying it for the fact what it is. I really don't mean it like, oh, it's so impressive. No, We're so good. No. I get more of a sense of surprise. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Holy crap, really? It is. <laughs> actually, when I give these statistics, even the 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 albums that people really listen to is always out of a sense of surprise, not out of a sense of look at yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> you think, you know, uh, it's going to be like uh, classic rock radio. Uh, the popular songs are the ones that... Uh... Exactly. But that's not the case. And I, that's that brings me to my point of just saying, I just wanted to add to that statistics that our UK audience, and we love the United Kingdom, we do. Darn tootin'. Is, is making substantial inroads on the large American audience we have on our show. Ever since we began, our American audience is about 50% of our listeners. But because of our great United Kingdom listeners, they have really cut into that by quite a considerable amount in the last month. I think that uh, the American audience, and this is just Britain alone, I think the American audience is now at 43%. And the uh, British audience has cut into that by 7%, just by them alone. So I'm very happy. I just I'm surprised. That's Again, it's not an ego thing. It's just like really. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just want to say, uh, you know, how happy we are to see so many people from the UK listening to our show, and we want to thank you. And also, of course, our our North American audience who all already listens to our show, plus all the people around the world, but especially those markets because those are the big markets that are listening to our show if you're in malta and you're one guy who listens to what's week, we appreciate you but the rest of your country can go eek <laughs> i like when we call the market as if there's some sort of uh no i said malta i said in malta malta yeah okay. the one guy listening in malta we yeah. got one guy in malta maybe okay we do have countries like that listening to us so i don't i just don't check lonely expatriates oh and also before we end this thanks so much to our australian audience who doesn't seem to give a damn about the show. <laughs> Why don't you bugger off, you wankers? Because uh, you would think a show uh, or a country that is also so big that it's also a continent would have time to listen to a show instead of going out on the beach and catching some waves. But you know what? Just like I said before, bugger off, you wankers. <laughs> Maybe they were in a different place in the 70s. Screw them. <laughs> Unless I see some improvement... In the ratings from Australia, I will continue to be contentious towards them. I will say, Australia, you mean nothing to me. <laughs> You're not dead to me because you can always raise those things. Now, that's okay. But right now, you're in my bad books. You're you're on a timeout. And it's easy to say these things because there's no one in Australia listening. <laughs> well, there is, but it's only a couple of guys and they're going, hey. Like that. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of anything else. Like, so I just sit there and go, the hey, wrong, that show's off. That's the wrong podcast. <laughs> We're listening to those guys. We're listening to those guys that sound like poofs. <laughs> <laughs> no poofs. That's rule one, three, and five. <laughs> today, today I had a segment I had planned. This is good. I got an obsession. With a thing? And Rob knows I have an obsession. You have a few. And... Uh, this is one I'm just I'm just stoking another another this obsession again this week. Today I had a segment I had planned for about a week to do, but then I received a phone call 
last Friday from a friend. And it all became irrelevant. Who asked me if I knew anything about these Grateful Dead concerts <laughs> that have been airing every Friday night. It's music. Night. Gary knows about music. Every Friday. <laughs> well, he, well I'm t I'll tell you if you just give me a second. All right. <laughs> He asked me if I knew anything about these Grateful Dead concerts that are streaming every Friday night since the lockdown started. And I did tell him that, you know, I knew about it because it was on the, it was on a couple of websites about them doing it, doing it for um, charities during the lockdown. And I said I knew about it, but I hadn't seen a concert yet because that would be too painful for me. <laughs> To have to sit through. And he said that it might make a good segment. He did say it might make a good segment for the show. Like, why don't you, you know, just watch it? And since I had nothing to do last Friday night, which is so unlike me. <laughs> I'm so, so damn busy with my whores and coke. <laughs> I decided, I'm just kidding. I decided to watch the concert which was about, um, it was a streaming the whole concert. It was about six hours long, sorry, three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> you were just thinking of one of the solos. I was thinking about how long it felt. And um, I do have this, I do, every, I never had this obsession with, with the Grateful Dead before Rob actually lent me that record. Because <laughs> I had, I told you, I told everybody that I had listened to the Grateful Dead. I'd listened to Terrapin Station and, and uh, American Beauty, and I didn't like them much. But it, the Grateful Dead wasn't on the radar too much back then, so I just kind of like, I don't like that music. You know, I just really don't like it. And uh, then it kind of went. And then Rob gave me that record. And ever since then, I was wondering why was this group, why does this group have so many fans where I hate them so much <laughs> that I would actually not even finish listening to their record. And for the last 10, 20, 30, 30 years, I have tried to actually find the key to that answer. And I have, I have listened to records over and over again. And I, what am I missing? What am I missing? And, Damn Rosetta uh, Stone. Yes. Like it is really an obsession of why, do some people hate this band and why do some people will only listen to this band because they're so good? And that's why I keep bringing them up and I, and I will until I find the answer, which I probably never will until God tells me when I'm dead. <laughs> and he'll probably say, you just don't like it. Um, I, got, I got one word if I was to guess. Do you know what that word would be? What? Drugs. No. What the fuck does that have to do with anything? Get off my show. <laughs> Get the hell out of the studio. Different music yeah. can be geared towards different types of drugs. Maybe. But when I was you in should the be able to rats. listen to anything without drugs. And if it's good music, you should like it. Yeah, but there's some stuff that... Uh... You're getting me off the... Because this is a long thing I have to do. I haven't even started. Oh, we haven't started. I'm going to back off there. That was just my guy. I don't want to. <laughs> if I you're trying to answer I, the question. Expound it into other words. We can, no, we can do this another time and talk about the drugs. Not drugs. <laughs> but listening to the Grateful Dead on drugs opposed to not. But I don't have an answer to that, to be honest with you, because I don't take No, drugs. it would require reference for comparison. Yes. So yeah. I don't have any. So there you go. All I can, all the, all the comparison I have is listening to everything straight or yeah. extremely drunk. Extremely mm -hmm. drunk. Extremely cool drunk, yeah. Because it's like, you're not really listening. You're kind of like going, I'm going to call Rob. Hey, Rob. 
And the so music, you're not really listening to the, the music. music is somehow washing over you. You should listen to this, man. What am I? I don't even know what I'm listening to. Hey, crazy. You know where chicks are? Okay, I'm really hey. getting off the topic <laughs> here. Okay, now the concert was from Washington, D.C. in 1991, and it had the last incarnation of the Grateful Dead, which was Vince Welnick on keyboards, which he used to be in another band I really, really disliked, which was the Tubes. And. <laughs> I like the tubes. Oh, well, I don't. Uh, maybe the the she's a beauty tubes, but the early tubes with young punks on dope. That was a good song, but other than other stuff was terrible. Freaking terrible. And and they had Bruce. Oh, sorry, and Bruce Hornsby on piano for this concert, who was a guest of the Grateful Dead from about 1990 to 92 at their concerts to help shore up the keyboard sound because they were they had lost their keyboard player, Brett Midland, in 1990 to a drug overdose, so they kind of, you know, needed help. And so he helped because he was a Grateful Dead fan. I don't know. Bruce Hornsby, kind of like him. Why is he a Grateful Dead fan? Um, and who really cares why he was there? Like, really, like, that's his own business. Even though if you see that on a resume, like I play with the Grateful Dead, I wouldn't fucking hire you. <laughs> <laughs> you're out of here. You're out of here. Who knows what you're going to do next? Okay, so uh, the show actually, the first, they have the first set. Now, from what I gather from my experience, the Grateful Dead have the first set, which is a very uh, nice set. I don't know. I can't think of any word, but it's very... It's very nice. It's very friendly. It's not the long experimental. It's stuff. not the long. It's like doing songs and and kind of grooving. And I really like that they came out, and it was a you know it's outside in like this and in RFK Stadium in Washington, where it's like eighty thousand people, where it's just what they kind of played all the time. And you know they don't come out with any fanfare. They come out and they're they're doing the knobs and they're tuning for like two minutes. And I kind of found that cool because most bands come out with like an explosion. Here's the show. It's starting now. Boom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I kind of felt that was so cool and relaxing in a way that they were just kind of getting ready and smiling at each other. And kind of, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, I'll do and that. I like that. And then their, their set, their first set uh, was actually very enjoyable. I'm, I mean, it wasn't great. It wasn't like fantastic blow my mind. But it was very, you know, <laughs> concise songs, like no no longer than five minutes and not a whole bunch. Like like the kind of thing that I wish the Grateful Dead would be like all the time. And so this goes on. They do this, I guess, every show for about 75 minutes, their first set, and then they take an intermission. And I liked it. It was really, I enjoyed it, actually. Unfortunately, I don't get the 15 minutes intermission like everybody else. It goes right into the yeah, second Yeah, you should be able to like, go get some drinks. Now, the second set is more like, hey, man, got some good acid kind of set. <laughs> because, oh, fuck. Sorry for the language, but the Grateful Dead absolutely brings out the worst in me. So they start out <laughs> with three songs from Blues for Allah and they all sound the same and they're long like the whole thing that they started with the first set is gone it's like <laughs> now we're going to extend these songs way past the amount of time that they should be played these should be the longest six minutes for each song and by the way they go into one another like every song in the first set ended and then they you know and they start a new one and then they would start a new one the whole second set was just you know 
melding into the next song, which pissed me off because I didn't know which song was which because they all sounded the same. <laughs> but you had a long. lyrical clue. And then, and then it was like, but I loved, what I loved was like Bruce Hornsby on the piano because occasionally the camera would go on him and not, not the first set, but on the second set when they're playing the, like the long songs and Jerry Garcia's like soloing for like four minutes, right? And then somebody else will solo for like three minutes or whatever. And then Bruce Hornsby would be like playing the piano, like, and he'd have this look on his face, like, I don't even know what we're playing. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to pretend I'm playing, but it, oh, I know what it is. Like, it would take him like three minutes, and then he'd smile. And then he'd start playing a little bit more vigorously because he, really <laughs> he right, and he knew where the chord changes <laughs> he knew were. Where the chord oh, changes I were. hate that! I don't know what song we're playing. <laughs> feeling, and you can see it on his face, like this dumbfounded look for like two minutes, and then all of a sudden, hey, yeah, let's just jam now. now, now <laughs> and so they do these three songs from Blues for Allah, which seem just oh, I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, I forgot about that part. I knew it was going to happen at some point during the show it was a friday night that i would fall asleep because i almost always do what i and it's not a joke i actually did and i actually expected it i fell asleep like halfway through the blues for ala medley and i'm the same way i did what i did is that i stopped watching it and i watched it a little bit later on on when it was repeated because i wanted to give a balanced view but i did fall asleep and I said, I knew it. So I went back and watched it again from where it was. And, uh, oh, excruciating. And then they did, after that, they seeded into, like, Estimated Profit from Terrapin Station, which actually had a lot of energy. And it was, like, again, way too long. It was, like, 12 minutes, 14 minutes. But it was, like, uh, at least it had some, it was a little bit different from what had gone before. But it was still fucking too long. Okay. <laughs> And then they go into the part where I was talking about before. Remember when I was talking about listening to the Grateful Dead Hour and it woke me up with a whole bunch of drums and electronic sounds and it and it just remember when I was listening to the radio? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> a couple of weeks back when we did that episode. And uh when we did the Wake of the Flood album. Yeah. Anyways, then they do this oh, then they do this drum thing. We're going to run out of time today. But they do this drum thing where Mickey Hart and Bill Kreisman play the drums. And I swear, first of all, I'm watching the concert. This is much more interesting than the album review we're doing today. <laughs> because I'm watching, and I'm all these guys do, and they're great drummers. But when they're in the Grateful Dead, I'm, I'm looking for a snare drum. Because they're playing toms. They're tom-tom guys. Tom-tom. Not too much cymbal work? Not too much. There's a little bit of cymbal work. A little bit of hi-hat. But mostly uh, not too much hi-hat. But mostly like, you know, and uh, accentuating things. Not keeping beat type of hi-hat. More like uh, everything is being kept by the tom-toms, which is like really aggravating after a while. And then they go into this drum thing, which is like legendary in Grateful Dead circles. Legendary by some people. Legendary because it's, they love it. Legendary because it's a good time to get a beer for other deadheads. And, you know, they're playing drums. And then Mickey Hart brings out this, um, it looks like uh, a pedal steel guitar, but it's not. 
you actually hit it and it makes a, a, a percussion sound like so i can do that <laughs> i can hit this thing all i'm that's what i'm thinking about because i'm a half-assed drummer and i'm thinking very half-assed but i'm thinking like you know what if i was doing something like i could do exactly what these guys are doing i could just hit a weird instrument and it makes a weird sound and I yeah. could do that. I could do that and make up six, seven minutes of time. I really could. I've done it at practices, not with the weird yeah. instruments, but Wait. with but with experimenting with the drums. I believe we call it going King Crimson. Yes, <laughs> in a bad way because we love King Crimson. So, anyways, it goes into that, and then it goes into its space section, as the Deadheads call it. This is where like Jerry and Bob Weir and Phil Lesh come back out. And then they just make weird sounds on their guitars. Now, the funny thing about that, other than the badness of it, <laughs> is that I haven't been able to hear Phil Lesh's bass all concert. It's like buried in the mix. He's got a six-string bass, which is so cool. And he's got such a great bass sound, but you never hear it. So finally, because there's just the three of them kind of making spooky space sounds, like kind of we do when we're... Our yeah, band. yeah, we're, when, when we run out of uh, songs to play. Yeah, and we're just making noise. Yeah. yeah, and then we think that, man, that sounds good. And then somebody will say, or you'll say, like, I'll say, like, let's listen to that. And you'll say, I don't think we can should listen to it. <laughs> That's kind of what it was like. Like, it's it's probably pretty cool when you're playing it. Yeah. But it's not cool to listen to. I always felt that way about jazz music. Fun to play. Can't make me listen to it. Exactly. <laughs> I don't feel that way, by the way. But I know what he's saying. <laughs> and anyways, so you actually finally you get to hear feel less just bass but because it's like the space section it actually sounds like an organ <laughs> <laughs> so he'll pluck it like he'll pluck it and it's supposed to go boom but it goes like uh, like a hammond organ sound <laughs> and then he changes it to a harpsichord and i'm going Fuck. he must have some sort of pedals yeah he was using pedals oh. and they were all distorting your sound to make it all weird and then a revelation comes the the space section it's kind of dying down and as it's dying down you can you can hear jerry garcia strumming chords on his guitar and it fades into music it fades into stella blue and it was jaw-dropping beautiful it was like blessed relief it was not you know what in all seriousness it was not it was blessed relief but it was i knew as soon as he started singing because he sang with such emotion that this is this is awesome to the like ninth degree to the nth degree. It's like this is awesome, and it was. And the Grateful Dead usually don't sing very heartily. You know what I mean? They they usually don't put all the mo. But he sang at the end, and it was like nine minutes long. But I didn't know it was nine minutes long because it was so beautiful. And at the end, he's just singing over and over again with so much emotion. Stella Blue, Stella Blue. And it, I, I was like literally <laughs> enthralled. I like they are capable. They are capable of being amazing. They are. I will give them that. They are capable of being amazing. And it was an amazing moment in a concert that was either okay or terrible you know what i mean <laughs> but this moment was almost worth the whole six three hours yeah, it, just, <laughs> it, just, it just takes them a while to warm up it just it just sometimes you just got to find the right song and 
I, I feel that we'll get into all that next in a, some other time. Anyways, that ends, and then they got two more songs. They play a really lame version. <laughs> uh, right after this beautiful, breathtaking version of Stella Blue, they play Bobby Blue Bland's Turn On Your Love Light, which Pigpen used to sing greatly. And they used to even play for 40 minutes. I'm not kidding you. At Woodstock, they played Turn On Your Love Light for 40 fucking minutes. <laughs> like, holy shit. That's a whole set, man. But It is a whole set. But Pigpen was such a great singer that he could pull it off in such charisma. Then, but Bob Weir is singing it now because Pigpen's, of course, passed away. And it's so limp. And it's like, it ends the concert. Like, and it's like, oh, that was terrible. And then they come out and uh, for their encore, their last song. And then they play this, they play, a, again, a beautiful version of, of Dylan's It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. And uh, again, it's like, wow. Like, oh, well, that's great. Very, you know, five minutes long. Very to, to the point And I was going, wow, there was two good songs in that whole <laughs> three hours. And and they were really good. And But the overall sense that I got was that was not my cup of tea <laughs> in any degree. That's modern radio with me where you got to sift through a whole lot to find just a few that you like. Yeah, that was kind of like what it was. And and I kind of get it if you're a hippie and you're into the dead. You're into the dead because they have, they're very lazy. I don't mean lazy playing. I mean it's lazy sound where there's very little energy. They didn't used to have that. I kind of like the dead in their 60s period. Because they had a lot of, they had, you know, big drum sound, you know, with the snare. and But now their they're sound, uh, like I said on our Wake from the Wake of the Flood episode, that when Pigpen died and they got the their own record company in 1973, they turned their whole musical direction, which they stayed with for the entirety of their career, into kind of like this very almost soft rock kind of, drumming with the toms instead of the snare Every, you know all these little things no more distortion music. no more distortion and all that kind of stuff it was music designed not to wake the baby yes <laughs> don't wake the baby don't wake the baby music don't hit the and snare drum make That'll sure wake the baby. you know what make sure your high is a real nice one you know what i mean <laughs> your trip make sure your trip is a real nice one and if that's just not my bag, it you know, that, to, to, to sound like from the late 60s, but it's not my bag. It really isn't. It's not my scene, man. I mean, what they what the man can do with Stella Blue and songs like that. He writes a lot of songs like that. I actually like Jerry Garcia solo. Not solo guitar, but solo as an artist. And... Uh, which we're going to get into in future episodes. We're going to do offshoots of the dead, you know, solo projects and stuff. But I feel that the dead themselves are their worst enemy. That's a personal feeling that when they're in that band, they bring out the worst in each other. And when they depart, they kind of make music that I like. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we went way sounds too long like, to that. But sounds anyway. like they've gotten into a groove. They've, you know what? I think I think what they've done is got into a groove. That's what exactly is what they have said many times. We just try to get into a groove, and that's not my kind of music. You know that the biggest word that I love when we're playing in our band is dynamics, because yeah. to me that's everything. 
and they don't have dynamics. They just get into a groove and lock in and then that's their three hours. And that's not my bag at all. And maybe that's why I don't like them. And I don't like no distortion. If you're in a rock band, have some distortion. Like, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the snare drum once in a while. Wake the audience up. Wake me up. Wake me up a little bit. Or quit calling yourself rock and roll. Well, we're running out of time, and I got so much to say about this track. I mean, this album. Okay, this one's going okay. over. We're not even going <laughs> to pretend this one's not going I thought over. I was going to say travesty, but I did. But then I did. <laughs> uh, okay, so we are reviewing the first. Oh, I've got to do this. The first of our Beatles solo albums of the 1970s that are considered, oh, by each member, that is considered their worst album. And we start off with a look at John Lennon and Yoko Ono's 1972 double, and I say it again, yes, double double album, sometime in New York City. That, by the way, was their first bad decision. One of many for this album. Um, not much to say. John Lennon had released... Uh, I mean, background, there's not much to say. John Lennon had released the year before Imagine, you know, one of the classic albums of all time. And um, then they decided, you know, uh, I think we'd like to go to New York. I think we'd like to live in New York. And that's, you know, soon after Imagine was released, they uh, rented uh, a place in New York. And then they got all radical man, I guess is what they say back then. They started they to get involved. into the underground political scene with uh, Jerry Rubin and Avi Hoffman and, and all those guys. And uh, they decided to make a kind of a journal album, you know, like, uh, which you can tell by the cover, which is like a, a newspaper, kind of a newspaper album, but talking about the stuff of the day, the topics of the day that they're Things. outraged with. Yeah. I'm outraged about this, so I'm going to sing about it. And so that was their album, uh, which was released in the summer of, or close to the summer of 1972. And not only that, they decided to do the George Harrison thing and, and put on an extra album of shit. I mean, of, of, of live uh, of performances, live jamming and stuff that, that is really useless. And, uh, but we won't charge much, but it'll still <laughs> be there. So you have to fucking listen to it. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 and if George Harrison saying, gave him that idea, then damn you, George Harrison. Are you saying that was probably uh, the the disc on the the double album that was not played all that much? That that was the uh, the the Grease, <laughs> the side three and four Grease album, as I call it. Uh, the one that uh, yeah, I like to sell my uh, sometime in New York City. Uh, the the first album uh, is pretty used up. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> but the second album is mint. Um, <laughs> and you say you played the first album quite a lot? What's wrong with you, boy? Um, anyways. <laughs> no, it's me, it's it was, hard uh, to knock one of your heroes. It's my, it's nobody, my sister, dislikes, she's <laughs> <laughs> nobody dislikes John Lennon. He's like... He's like uh, Everybody loves John Lennon, but everybody's entitled to make bad albums now and then. And as in the course of experimenting, sometimes you you go too far in a particular direction. He went too far in this particular direction. And I agree uh, with plus, that. Phil Spector uh, produced the album, and he's got that wall of sound, which kind of detracts from it. But there there are some just deeply. First of all, song from a songwriting standpoint. It's incredible how inept the songwriting is from a man 
who is one of the greatest songwriters, not only in rock and roll, but in the history of music. Um, like, like kind of embarrassing just the way he's, he, he actually puts words together in sentences and it's just, it's just amazing how inept this whole record is on so many levels. That kind of honesty has always worked well for him in the past, but I think he took it a little too far here. Well, it's an honesty, not about him though. It's an honesty about political situations. And And I think he was out of his, I think he was out of his element. And I think he may have been actually too close to the to the situation of being around radicals in New York City and and, the and he's good at talking about himself absorbing a fair bit of that I don't think there's anybody that, that I can think of who is better at talking about or writing songs about themselves than John Lennon is but he's not writing about himself except for one or two songs he's writing about Ireland and he's writing about John Sinclair and all this stuff and it's 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 just the ineptness of this. And then he, they use both because Yoko writes some songs on here too. Thank God, <laughs> saving the record. He says sarcastically, and and then they use a really amateurish band, Elephant's Memory, a New York band, which is, you know, they were there. They luckily <laughs> for themselves were there, <laughs> so they have stories to tell their grandchildren. Other than that, you know, they're competent at best, amateurish and inept at worst and uh everything it's funny how some records are perfect everything falls together like a puzzle and it's funny how some albums fall apart in almost every wrong pieces flipped upside down (laughs) (laughs) it's true isn't it that sometimes with albums and it doesn't happen often but sometimes with albums with big artists talented artists everything goes wrong everything (laughs) everything even from ordering coffee instead of tea (laughs) at lunchtime and this album is and there some of the songs are are just downright even even at the time but now are very offensive uh i've always hated woman is the end of the world because I just don't even want to talk about it. It's one of the worst songs I've ever heard by a big artist. One of the worst. I think it's terrible. Um, I didn't. I didn't get the, the sense of guilt from it that uh, because all the things he mentioned in that song that uh, we do to women, I've never done to women. <laughs> no, you know, and any cat. It's definitely you know from, a different, it's from a different time. There's no two ways about it. I I like that comment because you know what I hate about that. It's like men do this and men do that. Yeah. I don't do that. So why like, do you? We're not supposed to categorize women as being one gender and doing all the same thing. Yet that's what they do to us. Yeah. And that's most of the song. song, most of the song was written by Yoko. John yeah. did help, but Yoko saying mm. like, "You men do this," I'm saying I'm not like that at all. I'm I'm I actually have the utmost respect for women. <laughs> so why are you why are you putting me in this category? Why don't you say some men do this and some men do this to us? And I know it's not as poetic. And direct as you want, but it's accurate. And if you're trying to be yeah. accurate with a record like There's this. There's a few things uh, lyrically uh, I caught that uh, if taken to their full extent would uh, would be absurd. Uh, well, I, I, a point in case, if I may. One is, well, both of them. The two prison songs, Atticus Atticus State, State yeah. and Born in a Prison, which is written by Yoko, 
have this illusion that all prisoners should be released that because the, they only have love it's to give society's to fault and if we just treat them right well i tell you what let's let mm -hmm. them out maybe they'll move into a house next to yours the two of you can go to be good friends <laughs> like let me let me say something really harsh here and i hope we don't get any letters but let me say something extremely harsh does yoko ono still feel that way does she still feel like mark david chapman should should actually be released uh because he's it's society that made him kill uh john lennon it's such you an ignorant remark her. it's such an she has no idea <clears throat> neither does john lennon have any idea what kind of people are locked up some of them are very <laughs> nice people actually that made mistakes that i agree with but, some but are downright rotten some are evil and rotten in fact at least 75% of the people in jail, like yeah. in jails, are rotten human beings. I hold the belief that any group of people you're going to divide people into, you find a few good ones, a few bad ones, and a whole lot of ballast. Right. But if you divide them into the, the prison population, you find a whole lot more of the bad ones. Hi, that's strange. That's eh? how you get there. That's, that's the reason. <laughs> that's your prison. ticket in. <laughs> I want to go to prison. Oh, I got to be bad. Okay, give me, give me a night. <laughs> I find that so I, I love I love like a I, I find almost all of these sloganeering uh so demeaning. Luck of the Irish. Hey, I'm I'm half Irish and I wouldn't use lyrics as Ireland being characterized as leprechauns and blarney stones and no it's more drinking uh, and fighting that alone that alone and drinking you know i would accept that potato, in all, potato, in all potato. seriousness i would accept that but i'm not going to accept like things that don't even exist like leprechauns and that's ireland oh you're so lucky to be irish because you got leprechauns like could you actually talk about the people could you actually be realistic you're trying to be realistic about prisons and women's rights and 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 all of this but when you're talking about the irish who are fighting for their freedom in northern ireland it comes down to leprechauns and blarney stones and pots of gold are you kidding me was this perhaps written in haste a little fast <laughs> a little without thought yeah a little without and surprising if it came from an amateur i would say oh whatever i can dismiss this piece of shit. but it's coming from one of the greatest songwriters in the history of the world, plus his wife, who obviously was, you get that kind of thing when you're with somebody. So she knows kind of what she's doing. It's amazingly inept for what I'm saying for two people who should know better. Yeah, you're going to hold John on to a much higher standard than, than that's the point. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. And the only the, I did like New York City. First of all, New York City isn't a very political song. It's really rocking. <laughs> and it and it really has really fast lyrics that I like. I really like that song actually. Me and Yoko Ono were standing on the corner. I love that song. That's about the only song I liked in this whole thing. And uh, then if you want to talk the live about the live album, which was attached to it, which I don't, but we will because that's my job. Um, first they do a concert for the Lyceum in, in London in 1969, which has about 20 people on stage, and you and it sounds uh, like cacophony. It does. Yeah, I was listening sound... for some of the names, and I couldn't really make out. You know, I you, sometimes you can uh, hear the instrument to hear the way the guy plays. You know who it is. Mm -hmm. 
But I couldn't uh, pick out anyone this month. Oh, there's so many. Uh, there was literally 15 people on that stage playing. There's like five people playing horns and four people playing guitars. And it sounds like that. It's a mess. <laughs> it's terrible. And then to, to actually say, well, let's put it out because we're John and Yoko and people will grab anything that we release John, is again that, that album you've just recorded have you listened to it <laughs> <laughs> and the only the one interesting story which is the only reason i'm really talking about the live record is the fillmore east concert with zappa and the mothers of invention which is on side four of the album and what's interesting this is whole this is actually the the what when he had a whole the Sapa had a whole stand that week of this is where the live album was recorded live where he did albums. live at the film where yes not particularly that night uh maybe but some songs were during about, that week but during that week and one of the nights uh John Yoko came on during the encore and and they played what what is heard on side four and Frank and John had this agreement this is an interesting story this is about the only interesting thing about this uh is that they could use like john you can use frank said john you can use this any way you want and john says okay you can re you can release this too if you want and there's no bitching right okay you know so john put it out right away i was wondering why both released versions yeah so john put it out right away he put it out like next year on this album and uh i have to admit a baby please don't go is a really cool song backed really nice i mean the mothers of invention throughout side four play incredible yeah there was some neat guitar playing like yeah there like was and a lot of it's improvised a lot of it's improvised because they don't know what they're going to be playing but frank <laughs> knows how to direct the band and then they go into some stuff <laughs> like jamming but you know they're kind of jamming over frank's music and then uh you know yoko's wailing away now the funny thing is is that frank heard this and he goes, well, first of all, she wasn't wailing. She was way in the background in the mix. And they put her up in the mix for John's album. Okay, that's mm -hmm. fine. Whatever. You know, whatever. If that's were, what he wants yeah. to do. That's fine. <clears throat> but what he did, which was what Frank is always one of his biggest things throughout his whole musical life, was whoever, you know, writes things gets credit for them. Even if Frank puts out something that has... 10 seconds of a classical piece put in there real quick he will give credit on this on the album to okay this also includes blah 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 now what john and yoko did was they used uh a lot of the the jam on this record is used from frank's song king kong so a lot of that's frank's song yet when the record came out it went to john and yoko because they were doing the improvisation of the vocals and shit and Frank was furious, furious, because he's so diligent about giving credit where credit is due. And they didn't give him credit for playing the backup music for this jam, which was his music that he like actually over wrote. his song, over his song. He never got over that. And Frank released his version. Unfortunately, it was 20 years later, and it was one of his last projects that he did before he passed away. And you kind of get uh frank's um anger almost just by the song titles that he released on his album playground psychotics which he released also the 20 or 25 minutes of the concert when 
One one piece is titled Ark! (laughs) (laughs) And credited, as should be, to Lennon, Ono, and Zappa, as he does. Again, and then Scumbag, which is funny because John put down the fact that in the mix on his release on Sometime in New York City, that Flo and Eddie are actually singing Yoko should be put in a scumbag. <laughs> you can't hear that on on that, but you can hear it on Playgrounds. It's not meant to be mean. I it's can actually understand. a joke. It's actually a joke. Okay. And, and, but John put that down and Frank put that back up when he released it. And then the last one <laughs> is called A Small Eternity with Yoko. <laughs> <laughs> now that just shows the uh, disdain that Frank had for what John and Yoko did to the material compared to what he did. Uh, not that there's much theoretically different than things were raised in the mix and things weren't. I mean, you can't change the music that much. But uh, overall, uh, it's actually a pretty good side because the the the, the mothers of invention are, are just so quick on their feet about changes and everything. And did you get the chance to listen to the Frank Zappa remix? I haven't. I haven't either. I was thinking of it all It's week. hard to listen to like 120 hours. Yeah. And I, I'm like halfway there, to be honest with you. And I haven't listened to it, but I, I, I am, I, I will get through all of Frank's albums. Oh, no, I was just thinking of pulling it out to uh, hear the differences between the, uh, the two. I actually should have, but then I didn't, I didn't want to be swayed either. Yeah. You, you just want to review this album. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to review this album. And John, other than Baby Please Don't Go, really, they don't contribute much. It's really a Frank Zappa side, you know, and, and with John and Yoko kind of singing along and making stuff up. Making stuff. Yeah, exactly. Making stuff up. Like, scumbag, scumbag. You know, and uh, they do that for like four minutes, and uh, that's their contribution the to that word. song. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, anyways, that's the only reason I really talked about talked about that at all, uh, or else I wouldn't have talked about the live album because it's not worth my uh, breath. Uh, so overall, uh, this is one of the worst albums I've ever heard by a big-name artist. Yeah, by a guy that uh, traditionally doesn't do that sort of album. And a very disappointing album, from what you just said, by a guy named John Lennon. I mean, you don't <laughs> expect him to make an album this bad. And it, you know, when I used to see this album when I was a kid, and I used to, like, want to buy it, because it looked attractive, because it had... I don't know, the newspaper thing made it look attractive when you see it in the bins. Yeah, and all the ones up to this point have been pretty good. Exactly. But I had heard things, even as a young kid, <laughs> I had heard things that maybe this wasn't the best John Lennon album to start with, and maybe you should listen. So I never got around to it until maybe the early 90s and listened to it. And uh, I gave it, I give every Beatle album, like I've listened to every Beatle album, solo and otherwise, and I gave this, I give them all a good listen. And it... Uh, Nothing compares to this? It never changed from my first listen. It was just like, <laughs> oh, my God, what were you thinking? Like, just songwriting-wise in general, like like the ineptness of some of it on such a brilliant man was like, but, you know, you all you have down periods. When you're releasing albums every year and you're a Beatle and you're releasing three albums a year and then you become solo and it's like you're still pressured to release an album a year, Uh it's just amazing how not only was it bad, but every, like I said, everything went wrong. Yeah. Every choice was bad, you know. You have a really good movie or really good album that's usually, yeah, all the uh, the parts, all the people who do their jobs are really good, usually. Yeah. And uh, 
this had all all the wrong parts all the wrong elements <laughs> it did. i'm you know every time i look at it, i'm trying to find something good as i look at the songs and i said you know the only thing i can find good that isn't demeaning as far as songwriting is concerned or production or playing it's like one song it's like new york city which is very <laughs> cool song about just being in new york city and all the other songs i say oh man that's demeaning that song like everybody should be free who's in prison that's stupid <laughs> and like i mean there's just so many like uh you know we're all water from the same flower whatever the fuck yoko's talking about like it's so it's 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 the reason that right-wing people hate liberals is because of things like that that they say we're all prisoners should be released from prison because we're the ones who are actually criminals you know that kind of really <laughs> left-wing talk is stupid that's why me and yeah, rob are very moderate in the middle that's like uh, it's a it, it defies logic i mean a thing is what it is yeah a thing is a what it is does go to jail because a crime has been committed and you don't just release them because you feel that everybody should be free to live the life they want to. <laughs> and we're all watching from the same fountain that. or whatever. Like that's that's nice in a nursery rhyme when you're three, but it's not reality. Like, and this album is almost steeped in non-reality. It's steeped in utopianism of how they want the world, but they make it in yep. such bleak terms <clears throat> that it doesn't sound like <clears throat> utopianism. It just sounds like stupid talk from a bunch of left-wing liberals it does if you can just uh, get the world the way you want by believing and you know pretty much any plan will work out if everyone cooperates and follows the the plan but uh, that's why all the plans don't work out is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got some people who uh, who just aren't going to go along with it then uh, boy they just they just spoil it. i don't know how good of an idea this was to do especially for four weeks but uh, <laughs> but you know yeah. what? Wait there could be I'm some albums that we don't we may be <clears throat> going against critics with. We don't know. There may be some <clears throat> albums that critics think was the worst George Harrison album or the worst Ringo Starr album or the worst Paul McCartney album that uh we disagree with, that we actually like. Uh we agree Maybe. with everybody on we'll this be one. Surprised. <laughs> we agree with everybody and more on this album though. Uh I can never give John Lennon just one star, so I'm going to give it two stars because I can't <laughs> give John Lennon one star. I found a lot of this album bearable, but um, about the third listen, uh, I knew that was going to be my last listen. I wasn't going to uh, pick it up again. <laughs> I wasn't. I can't listen to this anymore. No, seriously, because I, I, like I say, we took the week off last week, and I forgot it was our week off. So I listened three times last week. <laughs> And this week I tried picking it up and I just, I couldn't. And the one thing that drove me away from it that uh, made me not want to listen to it was just the anger. It's a lot of anger. In your face anger. Like this is not protest music. This is war music. This is we're right <laughs> and you're wrong. And you're an asshole because you're wrong. And uh... Exactly. You got you got to peg. You always have the last word where you peg an <laughs> album with one sentence so so correctly. That was the <laughs> one defining thing that made me, uh, that steered me away. Yeah, a lot of Yoko stuff uh, was hit or miss with me. The one song on the uh, the second side of the album that I actually found kind of charming was Angela when they were singing the vocals together. Actually, that's quite nice. That the the harmonies that surprised me. It was that like, was actually quite beautiful. They worked well together singing that they one. They did. That really, I, uh, I have to admit that 
if you it take away kind of like the lyrics of the song, because yeah. again, the lyrics are a little bit uh, I avoided angry. the lyrics the first couple of listens. Angry. Just, uh, you know I what I mean? The, yeah. But the, but the actual singing and melody are actually quite nice. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, my first impression of Yoko Ono, I was watching uh, on TV, uh, it was years ago, I think it was a concert in um, Toronto for Peace. Oh, yeah. And Eric Clapton was there. <laughs> And he was playing, and, uh, and uh, I don't remember what song they were doing, but Yoko would uh, came out, and uh, she started doing that uh, the vocal style I, I, I describe as, as caterwauling. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's you being very nice. You're a nice man. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember yeah. years ago, I'd always imitate that, and everyone would laugh. <laughs> but I I seem to recall that every time you know she'd sing a note, uh, one of those descending uh, screams. Eric Clapton, he was cool. He, uh, you know, he's a professional, he's doing his job, he's playing, uh, but every time uh, she'd hit one of those notes, his eyes would open just a little wider. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that video many times, because the first half, and actually the band is like amazing, it's like so raunchy, it's got Eric Clapton with his Les Paul, and it's got uh, Klaus Warman on bass, and Alan White from Yes on drums. On drums. And he and, played on the John Lennon's album. And he played on... Uh, he played on Imagine. That's, that's where I thought I saw and the he name. He played there. on Instant Karma, and uh, and John Lennon plays great uh, rhythm guitar at that concert. Just a four-piece rock and roll band. Just kicked in the the first three quarters of the show where John sings his songs are just kick-ass rock and roll with Eric just soloing all to hell, and then everybody is like, you know, she takes over for the last quarter of the concert, and you are correct, and the. The only guy you really see is Eric, and he's like, I I, I didn't buy into this shit. <laughs> Nobody told me about this shit. <laughs> we were practicing John. like blue suede shoes and cold turkey, and all of a sudden this shit happens. John, if, if we're to jam again, we'll have to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> no more surprises. You get it? Uh, well, we're off to a scintillating start in our uh, Beatles series. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, uh, we will have another Beatles solo album to review. And I actually gave it two and a half. Uh, just oh, sorry. Yeah. You gave it two and a half. Very, very complimentary of you, man. I didn't. Like I say, I, I found a lot of it uh, bearable and some of it I even liked, but uh, the Angry. anger. It, it drove me away. It did. I couldn't. Uh... It leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, Andrew, it's like, like should that? I be feeling guilty? I feel like I should, but I know I shouldn't. Should I release all the prisoners? <laughs> so, I didn't do yeah. it. Okay, we're not saying who is going to be the next Beatles solo album uh, or artist that we're going to. There's only but, three to choose from. But yeah, I was just going to say <laughs> it won't be John Lennon. You can bet that. Um, that wasn't a dig, by the way. It's just because we just did John Lennon. Uh, and I don't like to dig John Lennon about anything. But if you're going to review this album, you have to be honest. Yeah. You, you know, you have to be honest. And uh, we will be debuting, maybe, our new segment featuring Rob. God help us. That's, that's all in brackets. <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. So until then, this was a very... This is a very good show today. And I don't mean that to pat ourselves on the back, but I had a lot of stuff that I had to get off my my chest yeah. today about the Grateful Dead and how bad this album was. <laughs> and we managed to do it. I thought we were going to take like an hour and 25 minutes, but we actually managed a reasonable Yeah, time. we pinned it down. I thought we were going to have like... Uh... 
well, not opposing points of view, but just noticing different awful things. <laughs> yeah, and, and we pretty much agreed that awful is awful. So uh, <laughs> until then, next week, uh, stay safe, people, and goodbye. Goodbye. I just write her off.